Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group and once more really happy to be here with you. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate in fact that I decided to start a podcast about it and here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. So in today's show, I speak with Scott Stein, who is the author of Leadership Hacks, Clever Shortcuts to Boost Your Impact and Results. Scott is a certified speaking professional, mentor, CEO, and director who works with leaders to help them implement fast-track strategies to improve results. He's worked with thousands of leaders from CEOs to frontline managers to small business owners to identify ways to make a difference to the people they manage and the tasks they undertake. Scott also mentors senior leaders with practical strategies that allow them to get more results from themselves and their people, and works closely with senior leadership teams using a process called compression planning that allows them to collectively identify the strategic framework to move toward their goal in less time. He's worked with many of the world's best-known brands and government agencies, including City of Sydney, Mazda, Carlton United Breweries, American Express, Mercedes-Benz, just to name a few, and he is also a founding board member of the charity Hands Across the Water, assisting children and communities in Thailand with over $20 million raised without any donor funds being spent on marketing or administration. Now, during the course of the conversation, we explore Scott's book in detail. I start off by asking Scott why did he decide to write the book? We speak about the challenges of distractions, both from an internal and external perspective. We also explore the critical aspect of leadership, which is delegation, and Scott shares his model for being an effective delegator. I finish up the interview by asking Scott about the Core 30 and Fence 50, which really helps you consider how to get your message across. So keep listening, and as always, would really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Scott Stein, author of Leadership Hacks. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Well, welcome, Scott, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really happy that you've taken the time to be a part of it so that uh, the listeners have a bit of a sense of who you are. Who is Scott Stein? Yeah, great question. Um, thanks, Julian. It's great to be here. Um, as some of the listeners uh, can probably hear, I have a bit of an accent. So I live in the northern beaches of Sydney. Um, I've been in Australia 23 years, uh, but I actually grew up in America. I uh, grew up in Michigan, up near Canada. So that's why the accent's kind of a little bit of a mix. And um, yeah, after I had a few beers, it turned Irish, which is also interesting as well. Um, but again, I've been working with leaders for about 20 years across Australia, New Zealand, Asia Pacific, and even the US, and really focusing on um, helping give them practical strategies that they can use to kind of mobilize the people. So I did the formal thing in America, and I got my uh, degree, got my master's degree, taught at the uni. And then um, essentially kind of delves down into lots of different organizations, including a training manager of five manufacturing plants in Detroit, Michigan, um, about geez, 25 years ago. Um, and then since then, I've been working and being brought in by CEOs or executive directors to help them take a look at how to then mobilize the people. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. And why did you decide to write the book that uh, we're here to talk about today, which is called Leadership Hacks, Clever Shortcuts to Boost Your Impact and Results? Interesting story, Julian. Um, what what ended up happening is I would come up with a hack, you know, from a client that I'd work with, and I'd draw this model and share it, and I'm going, "Oh, that's great!" and and I'd work on it with them, and they'd say, "Oh, I want you to do it with some of my other people." I'd start doing that, and then they'd say, "Can you write a white paper on it?" And I'd say, "Sure, I can write a white paper." And what happened over time is suddenly I had all of these different models or hacks or shortcuts that leaders could use, and one of my clients one day said, "Can you just write a book?" Um, can you just write us a book so we can give it to all of our people to make it a little bit easier? So that's kind of uh, where it's come from. Great. Well, I'd like to start off with uh, reading a little bit of an excerpt, which is from the introduction, if I can. 
Many leaders I've worked with shared with me their frustration over the latest complex leadership competency model created to show them how they and their leadership teams are screwing things up, regardless of how their business is performing or how challenging the competitive environment is. Leaders do not want to be perfect. They want to motivate their staff to do the best job possible in the shortest time possible. They're looking for practical approaches or techniques that they can use to improve their performance. So I think that really sort of echoes what you just said, Dan, about you know, leaders don't want all these complex things. They want a lot of simple little hacks that they can, they can use. Yeah, the, the biggest complaint I get from leaders, and, and quite a reason why a lot of leaders will, will use me, is to go on, we're tired of the leadership theory from the 1990s that some professor who hasn't been in the real world has come up with that is kind of the jargon. You know, they want things that are practical, they can get their hands on and they can implement straight away. I'm interested in this idea that you, that you talk about, which is to become the leader of leaders. The ultimate hack involves three main keys, which is mindset, approach, and impact. Are you able to, to dig into each one of those a little bit for me? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look around, you know, everybody's going, well, who's a great leader? And it's interesting. Sometimes it's not the title. You know, sometimes great leaders aren't the CEO. Um, they can be throughout organizations. And what I found is the ones that are admired the most really find this amazing balance between three areas. You know, one of the areas is the mindset, you know, and, and for a leader to really be able to step nowadays, they have to have a mindset where they're very clear. They've got very intention uh, focused about what they want to do and how they're going to do it. And I think part of that is the ability to know that they're not perfect. Um, and that they're going to make mistakes and that they're going to learn from those mistakes. And if there's a lot of research on that, even Carol Dweck's book, you know, The New Psychology of Success, uh, you know, took a look at that as far as the mindset. And do you have a, a growth mindset that means you're flexible or are you kind of a limited mindset uh, that's fixed, which means you think that you're set, you know, at this level forever? And I think that's one of the key ones, you know, having the mindset that you can continually learn. I was working with a very, very successful uh, businessman. And there's a group of CEOs, um, different companies. And he was in his mid-70s. Um, and it was interesting. As I was talking, he had this little notebook that he would take out. And he was writing these notes. And at the morning tea break, I just checked with him. and said, John, just want to see what you're writing down. He said, oh, you're getting some, some great ideas. The things I'm going to use with some of my managers tomorrow. You know, and that was a great example. Even somebody that's towards the twilight of their career, you know, extremely successful business person, still knowing that they need to learn. And that's the key, that mindset. Um, the second area is, is really your approach. You know, your approach is, what am I going to do and how am I going to do it? Um, it's about what steps am I going to take? You know, I think a lot of people have the right intent to do the right thing, but sometimes they forget about the approach they're going to take or the steps. And what I'm noticing is a lot of leaders that are admired are the ones that actually, it seems like the approach they take is almost effortless. It's almost like they can find kind of space to move quicker than everybody else. And part of that is about how they're actually taking that approach. And that's why I really wrote the book, Leadership Hacks, because I found a lot of them had this approach that they could simplify some of the steps, which means they could do it more efficiently. And then the third area is about impact. You know, for a leader to really be a leader, it all boils down to their impact. What impact are they having on the people around them? You know, are, is the impact going to mobilize and motivate the people or is the impact going to put fear in people where they're going, all right, I'm just going to get this task, um, get it finished, and then I'm going to look to leave. You know, and that impact, again, when you're working with people, especially nowadays with all the stress and all of the heavy workloads, the impact is as important as everything else because you have to get people to actually perform at their highest level. So I'm really curious about... Um one one section of the book and it's towards the start where you talk about this idea of internal distractions and, and you list quite a number of them but one of the things that I wanted to sort of uh, dig into a little bit was this idea of lack of energy which I think is in my experience one of the, the things that leaders don't necessarily often look at so what's your experience been there? Yeah I, I think you know we are so busy we are so overloaded you know, everything's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, the more senior the leader is, the less time that they're taking off for themselves, which means they're not recharging their batteries. You know, I was talking, in, and even in the book, I remember talking about a CEO I worked with 
and he hadn't slept in his bed in 55 days in a row, you know, and he was going from place to place, you know, early morning meetings, full day meetings, dinners, and then, you know, spend the night and then up early the next morning to fly. And I think, you know, this new pace, it's, it, it's actually insane. But what I'm finding is people need to actually manage it. You know, that lack of energy, when you just don't have the energy to spring back and you don't take the time to recharge your batteries, you start losing your impact, you start losing your effectiveness, and actually you start making kind of silly mistakes. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people need to be aware of today. You know, what are you doing to preserve your energy so you can be the leader that you are? Another another one of the distractions that, that you mentioned, which... Uh caught my my attention was this idea that interruptions that steal your time and i think that it really goes to the point of what you were saying about the, the 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 pace of work is is really advancing rapidly so what can what can leaders do to try to identify these interruptions that steal their time and and what can they do about that yeah and i think you know if you go back in time you know i remember when the um, the old offices that we used to have in organizations were all closed door everybody had their own office you know and now it's all open plan which which is clever on one area you know because you don't have as much cost you can put more staff in um you can actually have quicker meetings people can react faster but what i'm also noticing is there's a lot more distractions you know especially in an open plan office yeah and you know and the the distractions come in a couple of different areas. Probably the biggest one, you know, is sight. So I'm sitting there, I'm at the cubicle, and I'm near a hallway that's close to wherever the kitchenette is. And as I'm typing, somebody looks by, we have eye contact, and they stop over and have a conversation, right? And then we finish that, and I go back to my work, and then five minutes later, somebody else is walking by because they're on the way to, to the loo and the same thing happens and i think these are the interruptions that i believe steal people's time you know and even I, i've talked and worked with some people where they've actually just moved their computer screen so it doesn't look across to the hallway you know even moving it away so they don't get that sight so they aren't constantly kind of creating eye contact and taking them off focus so i think that's one of the really obvious ones that i think we can we can actually do and the other distractions as well are really about, you know, uh, temperature and comfort. You know, I know that uh, one client that I worked with, you know, they had a, a, a big office in the city and one of the big office buildings. And of course, one floor got lots of light at a particular time of the day. And the light, you know, the light was coming through, the sunlight was, and those people were really warm and hot. They'd always turn the air conditioning up people on the other side of the building were actually freezing, you know, and to me, that's an interruption. Anything that's going to interrupt your focus, um, it's actually going to slow you down. I think that's what a lot of leaders need to be aware of is what are these different distractions that are slowing either myself or my team down? And what do I need to do to put some things in place or hack them so we can get those results that we need to achieve? One of the things I really liked about uh, your book, Scott, is that there's quite a lot of practical uh, techniques and ideas that leaders and readers can take away from it. And one of them that I wanted to explore was this idea of hacking your productivity using a, a mind map. So I was wondering if you could share with the listeners how they go about that. Yeah. And, and what, what I also might do, Julian, is, is like some people may not know what a leadership hack is. And to me, a leadership hack, just so we're really clear, it's anything that helps you accomplish more in less time. It might be a shortcut that's not commonly known. It might be simplified steps or, or maybe a fast-track process that allows you to get more done in less time. And, and what I started noticing when I was working with a lot of staff, they knew that there were better ways to do things, but many people aren't aware of it. So what I started noticing is I would have a conversation and I would actually get somebody to just grab a clean sheet of paper or an iPad or tablet. And at the center, I would get them to draw a mind map, right? So in the center, I'd actually just have them put my current role and my current focus, put a little circle around it. And what I would do is I'd say, all right, I want you to think about the last two weeks, right? Where has your focus been? And what I would do is I would get them to map a mind map of all of these different activities. So it may be activities around administration. It could be activities around management reports. Could be staff meetings, could be meeting with the board, um, you know, it could be a whole range of things and just get them to see, all right, where are you spending your time? And that's usually a simple activity to do. But what really gets people thinking is after that you map those out, 
you then go back through those areas and you identify what percentage of time are you spending on each of those areas. And I think this is where the gold is. Because what I find is a lot of people, they're doing lots of activity, but when they really start looking at what percentage of time they're spending on some of those areas, they realize that they're actually spending too much time or not enough time in the areas that are important. And that's what the activity does around kind of mapping your productivity using a mind map. And that's the first step, just seeing where you are currently. And if you're a leader, I also get them to kind of put down what activity is working in the business, which is day-to-day firefighting, and which activity is working on the business, which is about strategy, development, coaching, and, and kind of really mobilizing your people. After they've done that, I actually ask them to kind of turn that mind map over and grab a new sheet of paper and map out what ideally would I be focusing on, right? So forget about what you've been doing the last fortnight or the last month. What ideally would you be doing in your role? If you were being completely effective and leading the way you know you should be leading, what are the areas of responsibility and what percentage of time would you be allocating to that? And what I find almost every leader I've done this with, the two mind maps that they create about what their current activity is and what their ideal activity should be is always different. And of course, the hack is going, all right, what am I going to do differently? What are some of the tasks that I'm currently doing that I shouldn't be doing that maybe I should be delegating? And what are some of the tasks that maybe I'm not doing that I need to actually start focusing on? And it's a simple practical activity But geez, it really opens up eyes. And I think that's half of the battle is getting leaders to be aware of where are they spending their time so they can be more efficient with it. So you devote a whole chapter to technology and email. And I'd like to like to just explore both of those just if I can. And so technology is changing rapidly. We all know that. We all know that, uh, you know, that, that it's the latest and greatest gadgets always coming out. What, what can leaders do to, to, to be smarter about the way they use technology? Yeah, this is the big one, Julian. Like, you know, I, I, I think when Apple launched the iPhone in 2007, uh, they changed the world. You know, before that, we had, I remember my Nokia mobile phone. You probably had one as well. It was the bee's knees, right? I could play Snake on it. Uh, you know, but when the iPhone came out, wow, they just opened up a whole new world. Right? And it, it was a new world from not just the digital touch point or a communication touch point, but what it also did is it meant you're now available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as long as you have your phone with you, which is what everybody does. And I think because of that, it's actually starting to overwhelm quite a few people. Um, you know, the technology is just constantly coming through. And, and what I talk about in the book is really looking at what are the different types of technology tools that you should be aware of. You should be looking at what software, what apps could you be using to help organize yourself or communication or if you want to collaborate or tracking in project management. So there are tools to help you be faster with your technology. But I think for most people, it's actually being aware of what do I need to do to control the technology rather than the technology controlling myself. And I noticed this with quite a few leaders where they're getting emails from people you know, from some of their staff at one o'clock and two o'clock in the morning, and they're actually responding, you know, and I'm going, wow, um, that's completely different than what it was 10 or 15 years ago. And and it's, it's a case now of how do we use technology, but how do we use it smartly? And how do we actually make sure we manage it? You know, a great example is looking at email, you know, emails coming in all the time, as I mentioned, and, and you know, the number of emails keeps bombarding people. You know, in the past, emails were small, it was slow. Uh, there wasn't a lot of detail in it. And now, you know, most leaders are challenged with emails coming through three ways. One is, you know, the volume of emails received. There's more emails coming in now. And I saw a, a report earlier that said, you know, most, most executives get at least 150 emails a day. You know, the McKinsey Global Institute report said that the, you know, leaders spend on average 2.6 hours a day just reading and answering emails. You know, that's 13 hours per week of lost time just with the emails. And that's the second thing. The time to read through the emails is hard. And then once you've read them, uh, what do you do next? And I think that's where there's a lot of room for leaders to hack and kind of hack their approach. And there's a couple of hacks that I talked about in the book. You know, there's, there's a simple hack on how do you hack your inbox? And I found this from a number of leaders that do this. And, and the first one that I noticed was a 
kind of a global Asia Pacific HR manager, and she's amazing. Talk about a leader, leader. People admire her. She's amazing. She's got lots of reports in different countries, and she's one of the most organized people that I know. And I remember talking with her saying, how do you do that? How do you stay on top of all the emails, especially, you know, given what's going on from a financial and banking and an accountability perspective? And it's interesting because she follows this very simple four-step hack. Um, the first step, and anybody can use it, which is why I like it. The first step is she just scans her inbox. She doesn't click on it. She doesn't read through it. She just scans it. That's her first step. The second step, she deletes anything that's not relevant or not important. So right away, she's getting rid of any emails that might distract her. Her third step is she sorts. And there's lots of ways that you can sort. You can actually sort based on your mail program, or you can sort by header. You can put them in separate folders or by the person who sent it to you. right? And then the final step is response. Respond to the ones that are important and urgent, and then respond to the ones that are also important. And I think just that simple four-step hack can really help people get through their inbox in less time. One of the things or one of the messages that we often get in uh, when we talk to leaders in our programs is that they're looking to improve their communication. And, and one of the, the things which really resonated with me in, in your book was in the chapter about communication, you talk about this idea that sometimes leaders have confusion about what action to take. So what, what can leaders do to try to reduce the confusion? Yeah, I, I think, you know, they, they need to be very, very clear on where their focus is and what their activity is. Um, it, it's interesting. When I, um, again, I got my master's degree and taught at university and I, and I taught communication. My master's thesis was on communication. And interestingly enough, it was on why do most teams and business fail? Um, and usually it was because of the communication and the process that they did or didn't have in place. And, and when I had one of the very first jobs after I taught at uni in the, in the workforce, I remember meeting a CEO, very famous CEO, Fortune 100 company. And the company I was working with, I was doing some work with him. And I wasn't the lead facilitator. I was kind of a support person at that time because I was early in my career. And I was talking to him about a situation that they were in nine months earlier because they were in all the media. Regulators were on to them. There was a whole bunch of issues with some of their divisions. You know, it was, uh, you know, something that really put the company in doubt, but they were kind of able to pull a, a rabbit out of the hat and really turned it around. And really from there, just really, you know, did some amazing things. Their reputation went up, their results went up and everything else. And I remember talking with them about how did you do that? You know, as a CEO, what did you do to really turn it around. And, and, you know, I said, did you have that strategy at the beginning? And he actually said, no. Right. Which surprised me because I think most people believe that most senior leaders and CEOs and directors, they know exactly what they're going to do. And he clarified that with me really quick. And he said, no, I didn't know what I was going to do. Right. He said, I wasn't sure. He said, but the thing that I knew I needed to do was to take action to actually stand there and wait and not do anything and be wishy-washy and play politician, um, is it going to work? And I think that's what a lot of leaders need to start looking at on how do they make sure that they're taking action and that the people can see it. And I think that's why I was really curious with this leader, because instead of just staying in the boardroom, he went out into the field and he started talking with his people, he mobilized his people. Um, they took the mistakes on the chin, and they were very quickly able to turn that culture around. And I think that's what leaders need to do today to be more effective, especially around their communication. Yeah, and following on from that, you actually give the readers a really uh, simple uh, strategy for communicating in a way that's clear and inspires people, and, and you call it the tell, show, ask strategy. Do you want to run the listeners through that one? Yeah, um, and this is a, a very simple approach, and um, it initially came from Matt Church, and I wrote, uh, in fact, my first book that I wrote a number of years ago, um, over 10 years ago, was a book on thought leaders, you know, how to capture, package, and deliver your ideas for greater commercial success, and, and Matt had mentioned about this tell-show-ask model, and, and the way that it works, you know, most leaders, if you have an idea and you need to communicate it, You've got one of three ways to communicate it. You can tell, you can show, or you can ask. Tell is really about barking the orders, 
It's instructions. It's giving directions. It's quick. And it's probably the Achilles heel with most leaders. Because most leaders, they don't know how to delegate effectively. They don't know how to coach effectively. They just tell people what to do. And they expect that people will just do it, be motivated, be empowered, and make things happen. And today, that doesn't work. You know, the challenge with most leaders is they do too much telling. Um, they don't use the other two strategies in the model. The, the second approach that leaders should be looking at is a show approach. Show is either you demonstrate something, you role model it, you give them a model or a visual process that they can use, and you actually communicate the message to them that way. And that's why I'm really big on, like you talked about earlier, mind maps and different um, mapping strategies so people visually can get it. Like I was just working with a uh, boutique financial funds management company in Sydney. And it's interesting because I'm working with their senior execs and now they're next level, kind of their up and coming leaders. And we're teaching them how do you show and get your ideas down on paper so people can see it and understand it. And it's actually quite easy to actually show a concept when you map it out. And what that means is other people can see exactly what you're talking about first time rather than people guessing because you're just throwing a whole bunch of words at them. And then the third approach that leaders need to do, and again, a lot of them don't do enough of this, is to ask. And asking is all about, rather than you know you, you saying that you have all the answers as a leader, it's going, no, 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 I want to check in with my people, with my staff, and I want to ask them. And what I find is when leaders start asking their staff some questions in a supportive way, the relationship shifts. Because what they're doing is they're going, oh, I value you, I value your opinion, and I want to get some of your ideas. Right? And what I've noticed is a lot of staff will step up when they're actually asked and they're being invited to participate in discussions that might be around strategy or action planning or something that is going to help them contribute to the way forward. So really, again, to summarize, a leader has one of three options when they communicate. They can tell, they can show, or they can ask. And what I find is leaders today are doing way too much telling. You mentioned then that uh, in your experience, a, a lot of leaders find delegation a challenge. I suppose I've got two points on that. First is, why do you think leaders don't delegate? And then I'd like you to share with the listeners that your, your delegation model, which you've included in the book, because I think, again, it's another framework which leaders can uh, take away and implement pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and this is what I'm finding. Like one of the biggest challenges for organizations is, you know, I take this really up and coming performer uh, that's really good at a particular skill and I promote them and they become a manager. And then the challenge is they don't know how to manage, coach, or lead their people, although they're the expert in the skill. And that's all about delegation. Um, and so what I find, and everybody knows we should delegate. You know, Harvard Business Review um, had an article a couple of years ago, and it's actually called, Why Aren't You Delegating? And what the research found is almost 50% of companies that were surveyed said, you know, their employees really didn't delegate, and they were concerned about it. So if you dive down, why don't, you know, managers or leaders delegate? It really comes down to two reasons. Um, one of them is time. Right. Because it's always the, well, if I, you know, I delegated it, they didn't do it the way I wanted. If I would have just done it myself, I would have saved myself some time. You know, and, and when I hear that, I go, well, you probably didn't delegate it the right way, which is usually one of the biggest issues. Right. Because they justify, well, or they're an expert at it. So they go, I can do it faster than anybody else. So one reason that leaders don't delegate is time. The second one is control. Um, because a lot of people going, well, it's my name, it's my my reputation, my risk if this doesn't get done. So some of them are afraid of delegating it to the people. They don't know if they can trust their people's skills to get it done in the time frame or at the quality that they need. Um, and, and because of these two issues, um, I actually was working with a number of people, in, and that's where we came up with a delegation model, which is a way to hack your delegation. And the way that it works is there are four levels to delegation, right? So if you think about it, at the top, there's level four, then level three, then level two, then level one at the bottom. Level four is probably the one that most leaders do, and it doesn't work most of the time. Level four is, I'm just going to delegate this to you. I want you to do it, and I'm just going to take a look at the results. Right? And the problem with that is I might not have given you the context. You don't understand the time frame. Uh, you may not have some of the skills of how I want you to go about doing it. 
Um, but I've delegated level four. So in my mind, I've done it. I know exactly what I want you to do. And that staff member doesn't do it the way I want it or in the time frame I want it. And that's when they do what I call a knee-jerk reaction. They go from level four, which is the highest level of delegation, all the way to the bottom level of delegation, which is level one, which is what we talked about earlier, which is, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. And this is a pattern a lot of leaders get into. And usually they blame their staff because of it. Level two is actually taking a look at, well, wait a minute, I've got this task. Rather than me just delegating at the highest level, I'm going to have a meeting with this person. We're going to sit down and we're going to map it together. Then I'm going to have them take action on it. And then we're going to have a check-in along the way so I can kind of help and support them to get it done. And, and when I say map, I actually mean literally map. It's not a conversation. It's not the manager telling the person what they want them to do. They start with an ask and start with a clean sheet of paper. Right, and they go. All right, let me write this down. So here's the task, um, and, and they start with by asking them, "What do you think you need to do to actually make this happen?" And what they do is, as the person shares the ideas, they capture those ideas down on a sheet of paper. And the manager might add a couple as well. Once they've got all the ideas down, then what they do is they ask them. All right, let's say there's six ideas or six steps that need to be taken. They ask them. All right, what do you think you need to do first? And then second, then third. And they might coach them on that sequence to make sure they get their sequence right. But they'll just number them. And then what they'll do is they'll actually say, all right, let's have a check-in. If this task is due on the you know, the 15th of February, um, let's have a check-in on the 13th of January. All right? And let's have a check-in after the first two steps. And let's sit down and let me show you what we've come up with. What I find is the minute that leaders go to level two with their staff, again, the relationship gets stronger. Because A, I'm not assuming you know what you do. B, I'm still kind of coaching you in this one-on-one situation. And C, you know exactly what you need to do to actually accomplish this task. That's level two. Over time, you can actually get people to level three. And level three is all about, rather than you mapping it together, you ask them to map it on one sheet of paper. Right, You might give them context, say, all right, here's, here's what we need to have done. Can you do me a favor? Can you map it on one sheet of paper? Map it all out. Show me. Right, Because there might have been an email I got. There might be some other information that I forgot to share with you. So show me. And then once you show me, we'll push the go button. And then you do it. So you take the action to implement it. And we're still going to have some of these check-ins along the way. And what I find, the minute a leader gets their staff from level two to level three, they have more time. And more importantly, they're staff are even more empowered to make things happen. And of course, then you can get people to level four. And it's interesting because you see leaders all the time. And there was a CEO I was working with uh, last year. And he had left the company he was with. He'd gone to another one. And within, I don't know, 60 days, he took two of his senior managers on the exec team from the previous company over with him. And when I talked to him about why did you do that, he said, well, the reason why is I have them at level four already, right? I can delegate them. I know how they problem solve. We have done it before. We're on the same page, which means we can move faster to get up to speed in this new company. So I think from a leadership perspective, if leaders took the time to delegate and more importantly, delegate at the right level, they're going to get a lot better results from their people. I'm noticing a real shift or maybe acceptance is a bit of a better word with the people that we work with that one of the the most important components of leadership is is having the ability to coach and i i really like the 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 framework which you had in here and it, because i thought it was a, re- a really again a really simple framework which people can take away and apply so you're able to share with the, the listeners the three uh critical coaching components of, of your model Yeah. And I think, you know, if you think about it, if you're going to coach and everybody knows you should coach, you know, you you normally want to coach for one of a couple of reasons. Either you want to expand somebody's mindset, you want them to look at the world differently, or there might be a performance issue, right? So it's either behavioral, um, the way they're treating others, or it's capacity or capability and skills, or it's about career development. So there's kind of um, three reasons why you'd want to coach. And what I've found is the people that actually or the leaders that actually are the most successful at coaching, they're aware of what I call the three critical coaching components. 
And the three critical coaching components are motivation, goals, and action. So what I mean by that is rather than just coaching in and just having a soft conversation and how do you feel, right, you know, which makes most people cringe, they, they actually start with what's called the why. And many people might have heard of Simon Sinek. He wrote a great book called Start, Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. And he talks about, well, before you actually want to get anybody to do anything, you have to find out what is their why. What is the thing that's really motivating them? What's actually going to get them to want to do something different? And I think from a coaching perspective, if you're a leader, you need to know what that is. You know, I was working with somebody. I uh, just got back from Perth, and I was working with uh, some leaders over there. And it was interesting because one of them was complaining about one of their staff. You know, they just they just don't want to pay attention. They're not doing what they should be doing. And the question I asked them is, what's, what's the staff member's why? He said, what do you mean? I said, what motivates them? Right. And it was interesting because he, he couldn't answer the question. Right. And I think that's an issue for a lot of leaders. If they don't know what motivates each of their people, they're probably not doing the leadership job that they should. Right? Because if I don't know what motivates my people and know how to push their buttons, wow, to me, that's the number one goal of the leader is how do I mobilize my people? And if I don't know how to motivate them, uh, everything else is going to be lucky. So the, the first area is really about knowing what's the why and how do I motivate them. Um, the second area is then identifying, all right, so what are the goals? And I think the important thing from a coaching perspective is asking them on what goals they want to accomplish. Now, this is different than their motivation because motivation is at a much deeper level. But the goals can be anything around their job, around strategic initiatives, small skill improvements. You know, it, it's something that they go, I want to achieve this. It's usually a task, a skill, or a capability. And I think being aware of the goals, which are, all right, what do you want to achieve, is another important thing. And that needs to be captured, right? Because when I follow up with them, and again, coaching is a series of discussions and a series of touch points, I'm going to go back to those goals and remind the person of why are they focusing on this? Well, it's because of the goals. Now, it's at a deeper level because of their motivation, but the goals are the things that actually people track, measure, and that's what you're going to hold them accountable to. And, of course, the third area of coaching is on actions, and this is the how. You know, and I think uh, many leaders would know this when they're in there. It's actually identifying, all right, if that's the goal you want to achieve, how are you going to do it? And I think the important thing is it needs to be an ask. Right? It's not a tell. It's an ask, and that's what coaches do really well. And leaders that are great at coaching, they ask incredible questions that enable their people to identify what they need to be doing differently. And I think when people start realizing the specific things they need to do differently, then they're out actually halfway there because they're now aware of it. And I think those three areas are key to any leader that wants to coach their people. They need to know what their motivation is. They need to know and how to pull out the goals that people want to achieve. And of course, they need to actually help those people identify what actions they need to take to achieve those goals. There was something uh, in the book which you had me fascinated with, and it was something which I wasn't familiar with and, and hadn't come across before. And it's this idea of compression planning. And I was hoping that you would be able to, uh, we'd be able to explore that a little bit and explain what compression planning is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I'm sure, Julian, you've been to a meeting before that was a complete waste of time. You know, everybody has. You know, and I think, I think the challenge is, you know, a, a, a lot of leaders want to get their staff involved with the strategy for the future, um, but they don't know how to. You know, using the flip chart pieces of paper and doing a SWAT from the 1980s um, really isn't going to cut it today. And I'm amazed that I see some managers and leaders still doing that. Um, so compression planning is probably one of the uh, most effective strategy development processes I've ever seen. And I was actually trained by somebody named Jared McNellis in the U.S. He was a master at it. And, and essentially what it does is it allows a collective group of people to collectively identify the way forward, the specific steps, there's a prioritization process, and it's all timed. So what that means is what would normally take 
uh, an organization, um, you know, maybe three weeks to actually identify the way forward. Um, you can usually do that in about three days. Um, and the way that it works is it uses um, visual process. So it actually uses uh, large storyboards. It uses index cards. So every person's idea is captured on a card. It's pinned up to a board. And the methodology allows every idea to then be prioritized through a voting system. So we can very quickly cover a lot of ground, agree on what we need to explore further, and keep moving in less time. And I think that's one of the great things about compression planning. You know, it, it, it kind of has a couple of phases or steps. So the first one is design. You know, you got to design it the right way so the outcomes are very clear of what you want to accomplish. Um, and then they go into a bit of a brainstorm, exploring the ideas on the index cards, as I mentioned. Uh, there's actually a vote and prioritize stage, which is where they actually kind of individually say, oh, I think this is the most important area, and actually use a process where the CEO or the senior leader actually votes in a different color so we can see are they in alignment with the group or not. Um, and then from there, we go into the component to concept stage, which is we're going to take the top ideas and we're going to actually spin them into more detail and look at what are the components of this or what are the friction points on this. I was talking with a client two days ago about, all right, we got to remap their process because it's always saying, oh, we're doing the marketing, but we're just not converting. And I said, well, what we need to do is we need to map the steps of your process and then we got to identify your friction points. And by using the visual cards on the storyboards, geez, we can move really quick rather than having what a lot of leadership teams do, which is a big debate, talking in circles where nothing's agreed to. Um, and then it finishes, the compression planning finishes with, of course, an action plan and a communication plan. So the action, who's going to do what by when, what's the draft, what's the final, and then the communication plan is, well, who do we need to communicate to outside of this compression planning? Uh, what do we need to communicate it? Uh, what we need to communicate it, how are we going to communicate it, who And the thing that I noticed and the thing that works so well in the compression planning process is at the back of the room the entire time, I've got one of my team who captures every idea. So what that means, uh, I ran a session about, uh, I don't know, about four weeks ago, and the team, after a day, it was a one-day compression planning, but the next morning we emailed them their report that had everything. It was about 30 pages. You know, yeah, we did a slot in there, but we did a whole bunch of other areas that allowed them to cover a lot more ground in less time. And I think more leaders need to take a look at what do we do to plan in a smarter way and how do we have that approach? And compression planning is a great strategy. And when you introduce that to to organizations and leaders, what, what, is there any sort of skepticism that you can sort of hack that much time? Or what, what's sort of their response to it? Yeah, yeah, there is actually. There is. Like quite often they go, well, I don't know about that. And usually what I find is either A, they'll talk to one of the clients that I've worked with before who will say, yes, it's amazing. One of the best processes I've ever used. Um, because again, quite a few of my clients that come back, you know, every year. Um, or uh, what will happen is they'll go, all right, well, let's not do it all. Let's just do this one little piece. Let's just try a day. Yeah. And what happens is we'll, we'll go through the day and they'll get through so much in a day that quite often they'll go, all right, yep, yep, we want you to come back. And I'll say, well, um, focus on what we accomplished for the day first. And then when you get done with all of those in you know, three or six months' time, then come back and we can actually do the next step. So you mentioned a bit earlier about one of the most important aspects of leadership being around this idea of team mobilization. And you devote all of Chapter 7 to, to that. Uh, you also mentioned in here that you've got five steps to a, a mobiliz mobilization hack. I'm curious and I'm hoping you can share that with the listeners. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, you know, the mobilizing of people, again, as I said earlier, is the number one job of a leader. Um, and what I find is, you know, the bigger the organization, uh, the more challenging it is to mobilize and get that critical mass happening. And um, I was lucky. One of the companies I worked for um, was in Detroit, Michigan. And as I mentioned earlier, it was a manufacturing plant. Um, and we had, well, we actually had five manufacturing plants, five different locations. And what was happening, again, this was 25 years ago, the automotive industry back then was going through rationalization. So what was happening is one of the plants we had, it was a screw machine plant. So it made wheel nuts and things like that. And all the main manufacturers, they had 40 screw machine 
suppliers around the world, and they were going from 40 to 20. And essentially, I was brought in by the CEO to go, how do we turn the culture around so we make the cut, right? Because they weren't sure, you know, if they didn't make the cut, but there was 600 employees, uh, nobody would have a job and they'd have to actually close the factory. And, and I was lucky that I had a visionary CEO, you know, and, and so we kind of mapped out a bit of our strategy and essentially um, it actually ended up hacking the, the entire approach. We were able to mobilize all the people um, and actually kept the contracts and actually, you know, kept the company uh, moving forward, which is actually great. Um, what I've found, and a mobilization hack, there, there is five steps. Um, the first one is create a vision, right? And the vision has to be created by the leadership team, right? And that's what we did, right? The CEO, his name was Ron, got us all together and said, this is the vision, right? He said, I want it to be a new shop floor management. I want it to be doing and operating this way. This is the culture we want. This is the type of people we want to attract. This is what we want our customers to say about us. This is what we want the industry to say about us. And what he did next surprised me. Rather than just putting it out in a memo, um, he went to kind of step two, which is share the vision and engage the staff. So we ran, and I remember I ran a series of workshops at all of the locations um, at all of the different times. Because again, these were plants that are running 24 hours a day. So I was running you know, the vision and sharing the vision, engaging staff in the vision at two o'clock in the morning so we could get those staff involved. And what the this step number two does is it actually gets them to, A, understand what the vision is, but get them to see what does it mean to them and how do they actually get involved and engaged and what does the brightness of the future look like for them? And one of the strategies that we were looking at, you know, with any mobilization, to me, that this second step is one of the most important things. Because if you don't get people involved and engaged in the vision and don't make them feel like they're participating in the vision, everything else doesn't work. And we had a goal, and we call it targeting critical mass, which is the core 30. We said, all right, we've got to get at least 30% of our people to become advocates for this vision. If we do, we know that we'll have enough critical mass that we called the 50% that we called the fence setters will actually go along. We always knew that there would be about you know 10 to 20% that would never come along, but we wanted to get that core 30% engaged, make them advocates, and then they'll bring the 50% of the people on the staff that were kind of on the fence, just going, all right, I think this would be good, but I'm not sure. The third step after we shared the vision and engaged the staff is develop processes that empowered our staff or our people to act. So we went around again. And we ran workshop sessions with them in each of the areas to go, all right, what do you need to re-engineer in your business to take all the friction points out and identify what you need to do to achieve at this next level? You know, and, and it was pretty amazing because what we also did is we actually even put in business unit process. We put profit sharing in place. We gave them control of their budgets. You know, and all of that was about developing this process. It was the step three to really get your people to create what that looked like. Um, step four was to celebrate and promote the wins. So as we actually started having wins in different locations, we had an internal marketing program to actually promote the wins and the good positive things that people were doing. Um, was, you know, that's an important piece. So that would help that momentum going forward. And then, well, of course, we actually promoted the wins and the improvements and the gains that we're seeing to our industry and to our clients as well. So I think step four is kind of celebrating and promoting the wins. And then the final step for mobilization is identifying the touch point to remind and assist. And I think this is the thing that I noticed was really powerful because even the CEO and the executive team, once we were starting, we were getting the journey going, they would still walk around. And they would actually still talk to staff. They'd still remind them of what the vision was and how it was shared and how we were going to do it together. Um, they did actually uh, roll their sleeves up and actually even spend some time on the line, you know, doing some of the tasks that some of the staff did just to let them know that they weren't in this by themselves. Um, we also uh, created some award programs. So we recognized people over time. Um, and, you know, we recognized them at their plant and across all of the other plants to recognize this organization. I think that's the other thing that a lot of organizations I see and I work with, where they want to shift their culture and mobilize their people, they skip that last step. They think, all right, we'll, we'll do it. We'll get people involved and you know, we'll celebrate the wins and everybody will be fine. 
Um, what we found is you had to constantly identify those touch points, send your leaders back out to the field to remind everybody of that vision and how important it was for everybody to still stay in touch and engaged with that vision. So again, five simple hacks to mobilize a team of people can make a massive difference to any leader or any CEO. Yeah, I think it's, I think the, probably the, the thing that I liked most about back your, about your book, Scott, was that it was filled with these, these nuggets, these frameworks, the, these models, which I think people can take one, apply it, try it, see what works, then when it works, move on to the next model. And I think it was a really, a really uh, clever way to, to, to share all your learnings with, the, with people. Yeah, and that's one thing I wanted to do. I didn't want it to be a typical you know, business book that sits on somebody's shelf. Uh, so when I wrote it, I tried to make it more of a resource book. You know, and I've had I've had some clients. I had a CEO that I worked with not too long ago who read it in a weekend. You know, and he sent me an email and raved about it. You know, he read it from cover to cover. Um, I, I've had others um, that actually they'll just pick up the delegation chapter. You know, and, and what I purposely did each chapter tells some stories and shares the model. There's a self hack on how you can use it. There's also a case study as well. Um, you know, so it actually gives you some practical things, but it is designed so it can be a resource where people can kind of look at, all right, do I want to hack my own approach? Do I want to hack what I'm doing one-on-one? Or do I want to hack what I'm doing with my team? Now, if people want to find out uh, more about you and what you do, Scott, where should they go? Yeah, probably the easiest way to go is just go to my website, which is www.scottstein.com, and Stein is S-T-E-I-N. You'll see copies of the book Leadership Hacks. Those are in bookstores. Um, all over Australia. In fact, I was in America three weeks ago, so I know that they're in bookstores there as well. Uh, but yeah, if you want to get any other resources, I've got videos, I've got downloads, things like that, just head to my website, www.scottstein.com. And any last words on leadership or the Leadership Hacks book? Yeah, I, I think that um, uh, most leaders know what they need to do. Um, but what I reckon is most of them are looking for, give me a shortcut or a hack that allows me to get more done in less time, because that really is the leadership dilemma. How do I get more done in less time with less resources and less people? And I think leadership hack is really kind of the smart leader's guide for achieving more in less time. Well, on that note, Scott, I'd like to thank you so much for, for being a guest on our uh, podcast. I am going to do a shameless plug on your behalf and suggest that everyone go out and buy a copy of the book because I do think there's, it's, it's a great resource for people to have. So until next time, thanks so much and all the best. Great. Thanks, Julian. Well, that wraps up episode 55 of the Synergy and Leadership podcast. And I'd like to encourage you to head on over to the Synergy Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked, tell us who you'd like us to interview, tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver to you. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free to head on over to Apple and leave us a review. In next week's episode, I speak with Jane Ward, who is the Group Head of Performance, Remuneration and Payroll at Australia Post. So it's another great interview with a senior leader. So until then, would love to hear what you think and happy listening.